Welcome to the show, Brain Health Unchaining Your Pain. And I am really, really excited to talk to the wonderful Ella J. May today. Ella, how, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> so Ella and I connected through the lovely Chris Ross, mm. I think. I don't remember, maybe we connected before that. No, we didn't. It was through Chris, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. It was I'm sure Chris. it was for Chris. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so for those that don't know Ella, she is the founder of The One Degree, uh, where she helps entrepreneurs who are scaling by connecting them with vetted vendors. She's also the host of The One De- Degree Show podcast. It's over 400 downloads since its launch and loves spending time in nature in sunny Phoenix, Arizona, which is such a beautiful place to be welcome to the show thank you and the podcast is over four hundred thousand downloads four hundred thousand exactly i'm sorry i said 400k no i was like hey 400 (laughs) is still good but four hundred thousand you're absolutely right k at the end is a thousand i'm so sorry about that no you're good you're good yeah so four hundred thousand wow and i'm really interested in talking to you because i know we connected some time ago from a brain health perspective, and I'd love for you to share your story. But we, before we dive into your story, um, can you tell us what you're really passionate in life about in life right now? Honestly, like, <laughs> look, if I'm being if I'm being real, like, what yeah, we'll I've, I've developed this really cool community of uh, realtor friends on Clubhouse. And I host these social rooms every night. Clubhouse is a social media platform. If you haven't heard of it, I host these social rooms every night. And yo, we just jump in there and we like laugh and have like I've gotten to know so many cool people. Um, there's collaborations that have happened from that. There's work that have happened from that. But like I look forward to it. Like I, when I'm not traveling, I'll do them, and I look forward to it all the time. It's something, and I've even thought like, oh man, maybe I should create like a decompression mastermind or something wow. along those lines. Because like it's been really cool, and the feedback is just incredible. People have been like, your rooms are just amazing. We love laughing. So that's like what I'm loving right now. Do you know, I love that because Club, Clubhouse is really new, isn't it? And I don't think many people have heard of it, but it's a really great place to connect with other people and and socialize and find out more. So uh, that sounds amazing. It's really fun. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd love to dive into your story. But before we start on your story itself, what for you is optimal brain health? What does that mean to you personally? I mean, I don't really know. Like everything's working, I can think. Like you asked me that before and I was sort of like, oh, like <laughs> I guess it would be not being foggy, like uh-huh. being clear. Yeah. And I, I think that's, you know, it's it, there's no right or wrong answer here. It's what yeah. it is for you personally is when you know that you're functioning in the right way. Mm. Um, and if that's what it is for you, then that then that's great. I would say, okay, so in that case, I would say clarity, for sure. Clarity. When I'm able to get clarity, yeah. Great, great. And I'd love to now to go, because I think clarity is so important and so difficult for some of us who Mm. experience brain health struggles. 
Um, could you take us back to the start of your journey where you really didn't have the clarity that you knew you, you needed? I mean, oh, like, yeah. So I've kind of like barely made it through high school. I also went to five different high schools in four years. So there was like okay. the element of relocating, but I just wasn't academic, right? Like it was not my strong suit. And when I got to university, I went and worked for a couple of years, then went back to university. When I got to university, I started to notice this trend where I do really well on assignments, really well on essays, really well on presentations, but sitting written down quiet exams, I was always scoring 20% lower than people that I studied wow. with. And it can I swear on here? Uh, you can if you want to, but... Okay, I won't. <laughs> you go, no. go real. No. What? <laughs> just be yourself okay so what like what happened is that like it really fucked with my head because I didn't realize how much of my identity I had attached to being intelligent until that happened because I felt like I was dumb like I was like why can't yeah. I get this like what's wrong with me so um my uh my adoptive I was adopted when I was a teenager by extended family so my adoptive dad was like Hey, look, like he was a dean of one of the universities in Canada, professor, very academic. He was mm -hmm. like, look, I've taught a lot of kids and I really think you learn differently. So mm -hmm. here's step one, two, three. You can go and get a free IQ test from the university. They give out X amount per year. But first step is you go to the school psychologist, you go here. Blah, blah. So I followed the yellow brick road, got the free IQ test, went to go do the free IQ test. And the, uh, for anyone who's been through a real IQ test, they're insane. It's they're eight really hours, four hours per day, two days back to back with two different, like I was 22 when I did this. I'm like, thank God I didn't show up hungover. Like you guys going to warn me that this was bananas. So do this IQ test. And at the end, they were like, oh my God, you so clearly have ADHD and we don't know how this wasn't caught earlier. And I was like, oh, no way. Because what was interesting is two months prior to that, I had, I was, you know, in school dealing with exam stress. And I went to my doctor, my GP saying, hey, I just really need some sleeping pills. Like the problem is I'm not sleeping and mm -hmm. I'm really stressed out because of school. And he actually diagnosed me with bipolar type two. He was wow. like, well, I think you have bipolar type two. That really rocked my head because again, mm -hmm. like you always just have this identity and you think everybody has anxiety. You think everybody goes through periods where like you think everybody like you know you just don't really know so I had this diagnosis of bipolar type 2 and I was on five different medications for that between mood stabilizers and things to sleep and like whatever it was and whatever I was just like look I just want to sleep so like give me the thing that I'm gonna it's gonna make me sleep and um so two months later go do this IQ test and they're like we don't see bipolar 2 but we definitely see ADHD mm -hmm. so went off of five medications went on to one Big difference, big difference wow. for sure. And um, just the, I mean, my, my scores went up and just the ability to focus, et cetera. Um, that was a big one. But it, it, to be honest, even throughout that, like I've been on, you know, five different ADHD medications, gone off of them for a year before just to see if I could. Um, and even through that, there, there's been a lot of ups and downs. There's, been a fair amount of, you know, anxiety and depression mm -hmm. and, uh, de you know, dealing with childhood shit that we all have and, and realizing as it comes to the surface, what's going on. 
Um, also being an entrepreneur, um, there was really, I feel like I've hit a bit of a sweet spot, at least the level that I'm at right now. Mm -hmm. But it really is so much strain on your nervous system to adjust to this because it, it's it's why not everybody's an entrepreneur. And thank God, not everybody's an entrepreneur, by the way. Like, don't believe TikTok. If the world was full of entrepreneurs, we'd have nothing but half-built bridges, like planes that kind of <laughs> fly. Like, we're... Like we're not good at execution, like all the time and implementation. We're great at ideas. We're great at getting people excited. We're great at et cetera. But there's other people who actually implement and do the work. Um, so yeah, being an entrepreneur, it was, it, you know, it's a real adjustment for your nervous system and living with that kind of day to day where you have to create your own structure, create your own income, create your own, et cetera. So yeah, there's, there's been a lot of stuff in there. So happy to discuss any of it you think would benefit yeah. the audience. Yeah, no, I'd love, I'd love to go back to your childhood because you, you said you uncovered a load of, load of stuff from your childhood that you, you, you know, came to the surface. What was it that, that, that bubbled to the surface and when did that happen? Oh, oh all of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was, I, you know, I was raised in a super happy home. Parents were in love. I had an older brother uh, and then when I was six, my dad got diagnosed with cancer and oh. he couldn't have handled it better. He was very straight up with me and my brother, told us what was going on. I went to chemotherapy with him. I saw radiation from the other side mm -hmm. of the glass. Like he was just really, really good with communicating about it. Mm -hmm. And they get doctors gave him four months. He lasted four years. So he died when I was mm -hmm. 10 and he died exactly oh. how we wanted to die. He died at home. Um, he told me and my brother and that he was going to pass away about two weeks before he did. Um, to, and I mean, now I, back then I was, I was 10 when he told me, Hey, I, you know, I think I'm going to die soon. And I just want you to know that like straight face. So you think your parents are superheroes. You're like, what, what are you talking about? You're not going to die. But now as an adult, I'm like, man, to do that with a straight face to your kids and be like, he was just such a good guy. Um, so he passed away. And my mom went through a, a massive mental health crisis. Um, she became severely depressed. She was on a million prescription medications. I'm sure it was lots of opioids and Percocets and stuff that she was being prescribed. And this was prior to the opioid crisis and was severely depressed. Wouldn't leave her wow. room for days. Um, I would come home when I was like 12 years old and she would say, hey, just so you know, I'm going to commit suicide tonight. And I just want to make sure you're good with that and you're good with your godparents. And the first time yeah. she did it, I was distraught. The fifth time she did it, I was like, just fucking do it. Like, stop it. You know, if you don't want to be here, don't be here. So there was just- How, old, how old were you in that was going on? 12, 13. Wow. Um, so there's a ton of instability. And, you know, at 10 years old, I was completely, my brother was a five years older than me and he was a really gifted hockey player. So mm -hmm. he was at this boarding school that kind of groomed kids for the NHL. And so I was home alone with my mom who I didn't, you don't know what you don't know when you're a kid. Like you just kind of assume whatever's happening is normal. Right. So yeah. I didn't know she was severely, like, I didn't know this stuff. So I was getting myself to school and I paid for all my own activities and I was already an independent kid. Like I didn't mind this part. Like this was kind of cool um, because I just, you know, I had to really, you know, make my own food, get myself organized, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, so 
that we had a bunch of money coming in from life inheritances from my dad. And then my, my grandma passed away a year later, et cetera. But when the money ran out, when I was about 15, she kind of woke up and was like, oh, damn, like we're in debt. We got to figure this out and, and kind of tried to be a parent again. And I was just like, no fucking way. Listen, mm -hmm. like I've been on my own for five years and I've taken care wow. of myself and I've like no. And lost your dad at the same time, you know. Yeah. You had your I, own grief to deal with. Well, and that's, it, it, honestly, that's a question that I hate. I, I so dislike that question when people say, because I've been to a million therapists, or not a million, but like a dozen, um, mm -hmm. dozen therapists and, and all this stuff. And the one question I'll get asked a lot is, do you think you ever grieve the death of your dad? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, there's no check mark to say that now you've grieved, like, well done, you know? And so I think it comes and goes. Like, I think about them sometimes. I, I sometimes think about how different life would have been. Like, it comes and goes, right? There's no, but... Well, um, there's no end state to it. it. You just go into different phases of it, don't you? I think so. And I don't think it's linear. Like, with the stages no. of grief, I think they 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 mingle right yeah so yeah, you can have five in one day it's like yeah seasons in a day you can you can go from a high to a low to a mess to totally fine to yeah know. one thousand percent so um so yeah so when I was 15 she kind of woke up um I was ready to get emancipated and I had every grounds too like she had not been around she had etc um, mm -hmm. But my aunt and my uncle, uh, who were just, I didn't spend a lot of time with them, but they were like, hey, kid, like, look, we get it. You're a badass and you're going to make this work. But why don't you come live with us for a bit? Why don't you finish high school? Why mm -hmm. don't you, you know, just like actually give yourself a shot is mm -hmm. what they were saying. And so right. they took me in, uh, didn't realize how tough, like they had no idea how, how bad my mom was mentally. Yeah. Um, so I lived with them for the rest of uh, until I moved out of there when I was 17. But they became they pretty much adopted me like they became wow. my family. And and my mom's doing way better now, by the way, we actually mm -hmm. talked earlier today, um, right. way better now. And she's she's just yeah, she just really realizes that she was really depressed. And she's, mm -hmm. you know, parents are people, I think. And we can't, you know, sometimes they make really bad mistakes. And it's one of those things where I'm like, I, if I didn't take this chance when she's healthy to at least see what a relationship could be like, then I, I wouldn't feel good about that. Right. Yeah. But yeah. So like childhood issues, like, holy crap, like it's been dealing with, I, you know, I was always so hyper independent because I had to be. And I think that was innate in, in my nature as well. But really realizing the effect of the neglect when I was younger, um, really coming to like my patterns around men with going for older, sometimes unavailable, very stable guys, mm -hmm. guys who could provide um, a lot of stability with money or with whatever, primarily money. Um, mm -hmm. It's yeah, like that's been a really that's something that I've really had to come to a head with a couple of times and really just understanding like my own value. Mm -hmm. In a way, like I remember the first time I had a conversation with my mom where we um, had kind of a breakthrough and she had, she said something to me, we we're on the phone and she said something to me where she's like, Ella, you know, you're, you're having trouble, but you're not fucked up. And I was like, you don't even know me. Like you haven't known me since you, since I was 10, I'm insanely fucked up. Mm 
Like you have no idea. And she was like, um, and uh, so she was like, okay, I get it. I screwed up, et cetera. There was something, mm-hmm. there's somewhere I was going with this um, with like, oh man, there was something with a conversation with my mom. It like just fell out of my head. Well, you like, you said that you had a really good, you've been able to talk with her more recently and have the. Oh yeah. So anyways, that conversation went really well. That was the first like breakthrough where she really owned up to everything that had happened, which like had never happened. It was, she was always way too delicate to talk about the past. Wow. And it was the first time. And she really like helped me out. Like I, I you know, I needed to go see a doctor and she like did a bunch of research and found me the best doctor because I was just having a bad week. And she really helped me. Like she was really a mom for the first time in since like, you know, forever. And wow. there was this feeling of like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm being loved just for existing. I didn't have to do anything for this. I didn't have to earn it. I didn't have to look a certain way. I didn't have to impress somebody. Somebody loved me just for existing. And there was like, there was this moment where I was like, holy crap, like this has not been present in my life at all with the way that, because even with my adoptive family, like they couldn't have been sweeter, but you're always the adopted kid. Like you're never, especially because I was brought in when I was 15. Like it wasn't, you know, it was like, a, okay, cool. Like we'll make this work type thing. I wasn't a baby. So it was just like one of those moments where I was like, and it was that realization where I was, you know, I remember the next day and just being so like blown away of like, whoa, this is what it's like to have a mom. And there's this feeling in me where I was like, okay, I get it. This is way scarier than just shutting people out. Like this, like feeling like you care about somebody, feeling like you're invested. Like this is way scarier than just keeping yourself at arm's length. So fuck, there's been so much shit to work through. I'm sure I'm not even like halfway done. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you for sharing that because that's a really, that's really powerful that, you know, we often talk about the um disconnection but actually realizing that connection Mm. piece and that just being loved for being you and just for showing up and like you say for existing was really mind-blowing um so everybody who has parents that just love them be grateful (laughs) yeah yeah because it's so easy isn't it to take that for granted until you don't have it yeah, and obviously you had you had it, you know, from the age of uh, to the age of six with your dad. Uh, oh, and, and my mom. Like she, was, she was, yeah, and my mom. Like she was a great yeah, mom while he exactly. was around. She just really crashed when he died. When but, but yeah, that's what I was really lucky for. Is I had an amazing first five years or that yeah. base. Um, so you that had a was, good starting base to rebuild yeah, on. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. And what was the um what was it what was it that allowed you or maybe um gave you the permission to reconnect with your mum? What what point were you able to reestablish that connection? I'm sure it doesn't sort of happen instantly. No, she really, really pushed for a relationship until mm-hmm. I was around like 23, 24. And like really aggressively pushed. And it just, I was just like, fuck you. Like, look, you haven't, like, you haven't been there. You, and in there, I'm sure there was this, like, you know, when you see someone behave that way, 
it's pretty hard to separate beliefs from behaviors where you're like, you didn't think we were worth living for. Like, mm. you know, like you decided to peace out. And like, we, like my brother was away for a lot of it, but like, I had no one, like I had yeah. to totally figure it out. Right. So she really pushed and then she just stopped pushing. And there would be a few times over the years that we would connect here and there. And I'd seen her once or twice when I was back in Vancouver. Um, but yeah, no, I never like there was always this sort of nervous system response with her where it was like back up. Like it was a whole body thing where my whole body would want to get away from her. Like mm -hmm. I would become extremely uncomfortable in her presence. Mm -hmm. um, and I haven't been in her presence in years. But it was that conversation, honestly, like I was having a really bad day. Mm -hmm. um, I remember I was like on the couch, probably just, I don't know, on TikTok or like watching TV or something. And um, she phoned me, which was random. And for whatever reason, I picked up and she started to talk about how she's like, Ella, I'm just so insanely proud of you. Like mm -hmm. you've built this business. You have such an incredible network. Like I'm so proud of what you've done. And I just like could not hold it in and started to cry because oh. I was having a not good day. And I was like, yeah, it looks good, but I'm like really struggling and this and this. And this was actually prior to going back on ADHD medication. And, and I just lost it on her. Like I was like, look, you're the reason that so much of this stuff is happening. Like you weren't, and she owned it. She owned it. She was like, yeah. She's like, I really screwed up. Like I was not the parent I should have been. And I was really depressed, but I can tell you that like, I'm not going to let you be, be there and suffer and not help you because that's bullshit. Like she owned it and she was fair. Um, and she, she, yeah, it was just this conversation that was the right time. And I happened to be in the right horrible mood. <laughs> um, for yeah. me to, like if I would have had a really good day or been whatever, I would have just like, like, you know, breezed over the call, maybe took it, maybe not. Mm -hmm. um and just gotten off the phone but no it was that conversation that really and I, I don't know if we're ever going to be super close we've talked a few mm -hmm. times since but it was really the fact that she was willing to just own and I mean not to like I, I could have done things differently too like it's not like I'm not saying I'm without fault here but yeah. it's like um yeah that was like a really and the fact that she just like really helped me like she was really a mom when I needed one yeah and that hadn't happened in mm. forever like mm. she was always too delicate or always too emotional to ever have real conversations and it just it makes it so that you can't really have a relationship yeah yeah that must have been so hard as well because obviously at the time you know naturally you pushed you pushed her away because that was your defense mechanism totally because you needed to you needed to find your feet and her coming into your space and messing up with your head wasn't giving you that stability, especially if she'd been, you know, saying to you multiple times, I'm going to, I'm going to kill myself. Mm. Yeah. Is that, is that what you feel happened? I, I mean, I think she was really sick. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't know exactly what happened. Like I just but, made it. I mean, through. for yourself personally, did did you feel like the the way to deal with it was to just block it out? I don't know. Was it wasn't a rational thought. Like, no, that's okay. I don't know. Like, I just know that like when I was around her, my whole body, and this might happen again. Like, I haven't been around yeah. her in years, 
-hmm. but my whole body, my whole nervous system would be like, get out of here. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you doing? Um, Mm -hmm. So I, I, but I I don't know. I don't know exactly Mm -hmm. what shifted in my head or, or in my Mm -hmm. body or whatever. Like, yeah. And at, at what point in your, in your journey, did you start to better understand the your childhood because because obviously when we have adverse childhood experiences as you you've had of course is it's difficult to understand those experiences because you experienced them Mm -hmm. as a child and you don't have the the knowledge or the wisdom or you know the education awareness you just live in it and it isn't often until much later in life that you start to understand what happened to you from an adult's perspective so you're kind of looking in as an adult but still experiencing the same emotions that have been locked in you and all of the outflows that relate to the trauma that you've may experience that you've experienced but in the context of being a child or a or a teenager when 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 did you start to realize that um that you that you had you know that this was trauma not and not 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 the norm um I mean like I think I like she was taken to a men to um I don't know if they still call them mental hospitals but Mm -hmm. she was taken to a mental hospital when I was a teenager and I remember coming home and she was gone for four days and I didn't know and then they took me to the and but she left me alone for an entire summer my summer of grade nine or grade eight or something wow. like she just left. My brother was at a hockey camp. She went to somewhere. I think, I don't know, maybe for a work thing and gave me the keys to the house and a credit card. The whole summer gone. Didn't see her. Wow. Like whole summer gone. But I was always like, here's the thing is I was already an independent kid. I yeah. was always taken care of. We had money for that time period. Mm-hmm. Right. So I was always dressed well. I, you know, made my way to school when I made it. And, um, it didn't really look like much was wrong from the outside. Like I totally get how people would have, would have had no idea. And also mm-hmm. I just didn't know, I didn't know it was weird. So I didn't talk to anybody about it mm-hmm. because everyone was like, oh, you know, and everyone's very sympathetic to like, Oh, you had a big death in the family, et cetera. It's like, how's your mom doing? Well, she's okay. She sleeps a lot. Oh yeah. Like that's not abnormal. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think you just get older and you screw up a lot and you realize that, hey, it's pretty nice that when someone is has some empathy for you when you've like really screwed up. And then um, I think like one thing, too, is probably I don't know. I hadn't really thought about this earlier, which is interesting, but I just realized like six months ago and I'm like 31 for reference right now. I just realized six months ago that like I want kids. And where I was, you know, I was kind of at a head with a relationship I was in and I was sort of like, man, do I want kids? Like, I don't, I just hadn't really, hadn't come up. And um, I was like, man, I want kids. And, and then you, you know, talk to parents and you realize that like, they're all trying their best. And even the best parents think they're awful. Um, or what we would perceive to be the best parents from the outside think they're terrible and they're failing at it. And I don't know. You just kind of realize that like people I know for the most part, she did the best she could. Mm-hmm. Like she didn't bring strange men around. She didn't ever put me in danger. She never hit me. She never. I, I looking back, it's like, holy shit. She was really, really depressed and nobody mm-hmm. caught it. 
Mm-hmm. And with the nuclear family society we live in, it just wasn't normal for people. Like people wouldn't have just come over. Like that wasn't normal, you know? Yeah. So yeah. it's like she was really isolated. She was really depressed. She was probably being kept in that depression by a lot of the prescriptions that she was being Absolutely, given. Absolutely, yeah. And um, she really just did not have the help that she desperately needed. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I really kind of admire her right now for because like – she was in it for years, mm-hmm. years, and she made it out. Yeah. And there's this aspect where I'm like, holy fuck, what a fighter. Like, mm-hmm. I have, you know, a couple bad days, and I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> you know, like, it's, yeah, she really, she lived for something. So, yeah. 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 Amazing. And I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to know what, because you, obviously you lived in it as a child. What what advice would you give to yourself now you're an adult and you, you want to become a become a, a mum? What what advice would you give to yourself if you were to oh, go? Oh, I would back have said tell someone. Self? I would uh-huh. have said tell someone. Yeah. Tell someone. Like talk like again, I was such an independent kid that mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the freedom. And I, I didn't know, she, like, she was asleep. Like, I did not know, I didn't know what depression was, mm-hmm. you know? So, but I would have said, that, like, hey, this isn't normal. You've got to go tell someone. Like, go get her help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she had no help, apart from obviously being put on a multitude well, she of meds. She was seen that, like, she's a psychologist, very educated woman. She was seen uh-huh. a therapist um, who I think, or a, psych- a therapist or a psychiatrist, but it was someone who was prescribing her the meds. Okay. So whether the therapist was sent here to the doctor or, or was a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. but she, I, I, my only knowledge, like to my extent of my knowledge, mm-hmm. just nobody knew how bad it was. Mm-hmm. Cause if, if anybody did who cared, they would have helped. Mm-hmm. Um, but nobody knew how bad it was. And well, I, mean, I think the system becomes often a, you know, prescribe and forget, doesn't it? It is. There's no, there's not necessarily you know, the monitoring as to whether the prescription drug that they've given you is actually improving. Um, Often they'll say, hey, take this for six months and then come back and see me. Um, And that's not necessary. That's not the solution. Uh, And just medication, you know, as a prescription isn't isn't necessarily the solution, especially Mm. if, you know, with the trauma and grief that your mum was going through is, is the importance of her having a network that she can lean on and talk to or, or not, or just have around her to support Mm. her um, is, is so important, but so difficult when, when it's that sort of grief of losing your other, other half, which is what happened to her. So, 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 take me forward to your to the time where you, when did you notice that obviously you were struggling at school and you went and had your assessment. Mm. Um, what what age were you then? Twenty four, twenty three, twenty four. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, right around there. Mm-hmm. And that was with your stepdad. So he 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 came on the scene. When did he appear? Uh, my adoptive dad. So they, oh, I was adopted dad, when I was 15. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Great. And, um, and so you 24, you had your assessment. 
Mm-hmm. And how did that really shift for you? What was the real shift for you personally? Um, to be honest, like it wasn't a huge shift then. Like the medication worked and my yeah. scores went up and I, I, I didn't, I mean, I was, I was still so ingrained in some really negative habits in my life. Mm-hmm. I was been drinking with my friends on the weekends. Mm-hmm. I was, um, like, like I, I, yeah, I mean, it, it did what I, it did what it needed to do for it to be something to keep taking, but it wasn't, it really wasn't until like I really shifted my habits and stopped having, you know, mass. I still drink here and there, like mm-hmm. when I go to conferences, but stopped having, you know, big amounts of alcohol in my life and stopped hanging out with certain types of people mm-hmm. that, and, you know, got into entrepreneurship. That has been by far the most notable shift. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, like it was, but honestly, here's what I would say to anyone is if you're doing all this stuff, like if you're exercising, if you've got a community, if you are whatever, and you're still noticing like, man, it's just really hard for me to get up in the morning, or I legit cannot stay focused on stuff that I know I care about, or I just, you know, I'm whatever it could be, then, oh my God, see a doc, like, you know, medication can save lives. Like I went Mm -hmm. off of the medication for a year, my life slowly started going down, going down, going down, going down. Um, went back on it within a week. Like I was like, holy crap, like this really. And I think we talked about this on another call where I was like, yeah. I don't, you know, there might be stigma around medication and, and for sure, I wish there were alternatives, but like, if it works for you, let it work. Exactly. Like, let it work. Like that's what it's there for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's a really important point because, you know, there are other interventions that can be done before medication. Totally. But if you've tried everything else and medication is, is is the one thing that is working for you, then then stay with it. Oh um, God, totally. Yeah. 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 So so I I'd love to uh switch now into the the fun facts, because I think this is a good switch point. Sure. And to ask you some some questions. So fun facts is looking at the five pillars of brain health, uh, where F stands for feelings, A is for actions, C is for connections, T is for thoughts, and S is for surroundings. And you kind of talked about all of those in the context of, you know, getting back on your feet and, and boosting your mood and, and optimizing your brain health. So let's dive into feelings first. What what's the funniest or most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you? Oh, um, funniest or most embarrassing? Um, okay, well, this is like, and it's kind of funny, but it's like a really interesting one. So I would consider myself like a fairly intelligent person. I think most people would say the same. But there's this whole category of my life that could be labeled like Ella didn't think things through. And this primarily happens around travel for whatever reason. So probably the most, the top three most scared I've ever been in there is I got arrested in Singapore and they took my passport. Singapore is not a fun place to go to jail. I never ended up in jail, but 
Um, that was terrifying. And then I was able to, at one time I crossed the border with half a million dollars in luxury watches in plain sight that weren't mine across the country border. Um, and they let me through with my, with the watches and without finding me, I did not steal them. They were my bosses at the time. And I was bringing them back over <laughs> the States, but I didn't even think I was like legit at customs going from us to Canada and you get that question where it's like, are you carrying more than $10,000? And I don't know watches, right? So I'm like, no. And then I'm like, oh my God, maybe. Like, I have no idea what these are worth. <laughs> and I go in and the girl's like, hey, um, what's with the watches? And I'm like, okay, so funny, sorry. So my boss is speaking in the States right now. He's traveling on. I'm coming back to Canada. I just took them because he didn't want to travel with them. And she's like, cool. Do you have anything that says that you didn't steal these and you're not going to resell them. And I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't. She was like, all right, well, you're going to get searched. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like it was, and I had just done a bunch of traveling in Asia and Australia, like a, like a year or so prior. So I go to like, I go into the, um, you know, where to get my luggage that I run the carousel and this like chest of watches. That's the size of two shoe boxes that I didn't really think, was going to be a problem carrying it on for whatever reason um, is in plain sight with a glass top. So the, <laughs> which you can see everything. And anyone who knows watches is like looking at me and I'm like, Oh God. And um, the like two security people that are on the baggage carousel come up to me and they're like, can we see your, like what with the watches and I explain and they're like, can we see your passport? So my passport and they're saying they're like, Oh, were you in Asia for work too? Was that working? I'm like, no, fuck that was travel. Like, Oh my God. So, <laughs> Then, you know, I go to exit the airport and they're like, you need to go. And I'm like, I know, I know. I need to go get searched. Okay. So I go to the place and I like put the watches down and there's three men behind the counter and they're just looking at it and they like, look at me. And I'm like, all right, so look, there's a deal. And they were like, can you text him? Can you? I'm like, I can. He won't respond. Like he's like in a thing all day. Like I will. So I waited there because they were like, we might have to find you $10,000. And I'm like, like, you need to find me 10 grand. Like, I don't know what, it, what can I do at this point? Like, I'm not going to leave the watches. Like, they're apparently worth more. So I waited for like an hour. And then the guy came up to me and he was like, look, I, I totally believe you. We're not going to find you. But like, can you please not do this again? <laughs> I can't, no problem. I won't do it again. So, um, so that was funny. That was funny in the sense that it was a good story. But thank God I, I didn't get fined. It's so it's so nerve-wracking though, isn't it, when you go through the airport because you never really know <laughs> what's got you know, when the sniffer dogs come round and and you just never know what's gonna get picked up. Uh you totally. know, it even like I think when I, I, I remember being picked up, you know, thinking I had explosives, but it would be film that I had in my bag or something. Oh but, you know. <laughs> and uh absolutely not not at all explosive related but that you'd go through search you know they take you through the extra searches and then you have to empty everything and oh yeah, yeah not especially fun. when you say i'm going to a defense or security and defense conference and uh, oh yeah that'll do it that'll do it <laughs> yeah oh dear what's the most rewarding this is the second one actions what's the most rewarding or fulfilling thing you've ever done Oh, oh my God, I've ever done. Um, rewarding or fulfilling thing I've ever done. Um, I 
Like I would say, honestly, make spending a ton of time with my niece and nephews when I'm oh. home. Um, I was there for a good a good chunk of their life growing up. First of all, I was so I'm so grateful I was around kids before having kids. I would see some of my girlfriends in their 20s that were like, "Oh yeah, like you know they basically get pregnant to trap a guy." And I'm like, "You're fucking lunatic! <laughs> like, do you have? You're not getting. You're not. He's not responsible for this. Like you are, and like." <laughs> Oh, um, so I was very grateful as around kids before having them, because even as an outside observer, I saw how much they rock your life and what a big deal yeah. they are. And I think that was why I wasn't sure if I wanted them or not until recently. Um, but really being involved in their life, it's been I, I, I get along with kids really well. Like I seem to vibe like my teenage niece is like she's so cool. And like, I would hang out with her any day, like, and like, go do like, she's awesome. Right. And kind of an old soul. And um, yeah, like that's definitely been the funnest. Cause like anytime I go home, they're my, not that I don't love everybody else, but like, they're my favorite people to catch up with. I love seeing what they're doing. Like, I love the way their brains work. They're all really technology adept and just like, yeah, I would say that for that for sure. Do you know, I love that. Cause that's right on to the next one, which is connection. And and you talked about connection earlier, which is really, you know, the most important thing in sort of guiding us in life and ele elevating our mood and social yeah. social connection is the number one predictor of happiness. You know, the more the people that we surround ourselves with and, you know, <laughs> uh, de determine the sort of behaviours we adopt. So we say if you want to get healthy, surround yourself with the, the fittest, healthiest person you can tolerate if you want to be successful. <laughs> If you want to be, you know, successful and build your network from an entrepreneurial perspective, get connected yeah. with entrepreneurs so that you can learn, you know, the learn the ropes and the people that are the ne next level up. And the fact that family uh, for you is the most important, most fulfilling thing. I would uh, say that that's the most fulfilling exactly. thing that I've done for yeah. sure was establishing yeah. relationships with them early and being around as much as possible when yeah. I was home. Yeah. Yeah. So the next pillar, which is connection, I'd love to dive into connection to others, is uh, who's been your role model in your life? I mean, I don't know that I have a role model. Um, I, I've been really, really lucky in the sense that they're like, look, we're told, especially as in the like entrepreneurial jargon, we're told all the time, like build a funnel, et cetera. Like it's like build your network. That's what's really yeah. going to make things different is build your network. Um, and I'm talking really build your network, like build real relationships with people you can call if you have a problem. Don't yeah. pitch them. Don't like, you know, don't like meet them once and put a photo up on social media and say your besties, like create real relationships. And I, I don't know if I have a, I don't know if I have a specific role model, but I've been really, really lucky along the way where I've just had a fair amount of people that have seen potential in me and just been willing to take some extra time to foster that. Um, Joe Maria is a huge one. Anthony Trucks. Oh, my God. My very first business coach. And he was so patient, waited through me, waited with me while I learned how to build a website. And, like, incredibly patient man and very successful. Um, Anthony Trucks would be a big one. Yeah. And, and I think he's such so, a like, genuinely nice guy as well as Nay. He's just so <sighs> down to earth, just such a nice person. He's just a sweetheart. And um, I think honestly, like what I love doing, this is like an exercise that I do 
I don't know, twice a year, like more if I need it, is I will, usually after a meditation, because that's when I'm the most like clear, is I'll just write down who I want to be two years from now. So like two years from now, what am I doing? What am I like? Who am I hanging out with? What what's my day to day look like? What you know? What's in the bank? What do relationships look like, etc. And like I kind of like it where like that's my role model mm-hmm. because I find like it's an achievable jump. Yeah, like but like that like like I right now am very different than me at twenty four. Like me right yeah. now would be my twenty four year old's role model, right? So yeah. it's like you're the same person, but you're you're kind of not, you know. So, um, yeah, that I like, I like that stuff. John Benson, I worked for John for two years before I kicked off on my own. He was a massive, massive influence on me. Um, there's been a lot, but I think relationships are like the most important thing you can have, like hands down, way more valuable than money. Yeah. Do you know, I really agree with that. And it's such an important thing that we need to do. And it's so easy for us to use social media just as a spamming tool rather than actually leverage the power of social media to really build deep connections. Totally. And there's so there's so much opportunity within social media to go that next level of depth yeah. and really and really build you know lasting enduring relationships where you you're supporting each other and you're building a stronger people foundation. Um, around you so that if you do fall that there's lots of people to catch you and lift you up and pick you up and push you up and and help you to keep going but it's so it's so easy isn't it to you know when we and I'm sure you get spammed too is people just spam you with their sales pictures um, without ever even asking ever even asking you what you love doing Um, uh, uh, and there's just superficial relationships and uh, building that depth of relationship, like you say, is is so important, that depth of connection. Um, I, I like to call it your growth friends, is you need to surround yourself with people that will help you grow so that, you, you know, you're, you're, mm. you're, you're creating the, the garden that you want to have with the, with the right soil and right, right nutrients and the nutrients comes from the people and the knowledge that you you put into your mind and people are so important. Mm, I agree completely. Mm. And do you know yeah. what I really also want to pick up on your point there, which I think mm. is beautiful, is that your role model is you two years from now. But two from years now. from now. Yeah. Two, yeah. <laughs> that's important. So two years from now. But I think that's really key because because you 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 are looking you know, you're having that future you to guide you. So I think that's really lovely because it's so easy, isn't it, for us to to focus on someone externally and mm. actually not take the time to uh, to acknowledge that we we too can be great. <laughs> two yeah. years from now. So and let's... Like, if you've met enough of your heroes, you know it's not a good idea. Like. It, it, like everybody's human. Everybody has insecurities. Everybody has a different, you know, like multiple sides to them. And it's not just what you yeah. see on the external, like, you know, and yeah. And I think that it, it, it really forces you to identity shift. Like you see people who are like, well, I'm going to run every day till I lose 20 pounds. And it's like, well, you're not going to do that without becoming a runner. It's just the way yeah. it's going to go. Right. If you do it. Yeah. And so if you, you know, if you know that like you want to be able to you want to be running a hundred billion dollar enterprise 
10 years down the road, awesome. You got to develop the identity. Somebody does that. If you know that you kind of want a lifestyle business and you want to be able to surf in the mornings and pick your kids up at night and be able to plug in and out as needed, awesome. Like you've got to develop the identity of somebody that can create solid systems and you've got a really good deliverable and et cetera. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's it's really it, it it's I think it's really important to see like most mo I'll say most because not all but most of pretty much what anybody else has done is achievable by anyone like yeah. most not all but yeah. most yeah and and you know I think it's I think the beauty of your point about stepping in you know your role model is you is that you really have to take the time cognitively uh. to immerse yourself in who you are and also who you want to be and then by immersing yourself in yourself in that future state, asking yourself, oh, how, how can I get, what do I need to do to get there? So it's not just what I want externally in terms of, you know, the superficial, some of the superficial value or the, or the financial gain, but yeah. what, I, what gain I want personally. I really love that. And like, think like, like, this is one of the hardest things ever for me to do was get clear on what I want. Yeah. When people would say, what do you want? I'd be like, I want the company to be doing 10 million. I want, no, no, no. What do you want? And I was always like, I don't know. Like, you, you know, you tell me like, I was like, I don't know. Like I was always just so cloudy on it. And yeah. I tortured, like went through the, what felt like a torturous process of just really like, I wouldn't stop asking myself the question until I started to get more and more clear. And as I got more and more clear, like you'll be able, at first it's really, really tough, especially if I haven't done this, but as you get more and more clear, like I write down what I'm going to be thinking about in the morning in two years. Yeah. Like, what are my thoughts going to be? Like, what am I going to be, what's going to be my stress, my most like predictable stressors in life at that point? Yeah. What's like, it's really, you really your, immerse yourself in your you internal are, state. Yeah. Cause that's where you live. Yeah. Like you live there, you know, <laughs> like make the house nice. Yeah. You know, I really love that. I love that. I'd, I'd love to jump onto the next one. Cause I know yeah. you just mentioned it. So the, so the fourth pillar is thoughts. Oh, okay. Um, and and you talked about how you want to think, you know, as your future self. But for 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 the self that you have been, what, what stupid or crazy thought have you often told yourself in the past that isn't true? Ooh, I mean, <laughs> I like okay. So I would. I don't know if this was a conscious thought, but my actions make it very clear. Um, just that I wasn't very like worthy, like I wasn't worth much. Uh, like I would, and like, and again, I think that our most intense, uh, like our most embedded thoughts, we don't experience them as thoughts. They come through as actions. Yeah. Like you'll see somebody acting out their self-beliefs all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so just like putting up with shitty behavior and underpricing and like, just yeah just like that I really didn't have like I was acting in a way that reflected that I didn't think I had a lot of value mm -hmm. and there was this massive like you know I've always been pretty pretty confident and I could talk well and I'm great at connecting with people and mm -hmm. so people would think initially that like I was 10 times more successful than I was and I was you know all this stuff but there was these like 
real, and I don't even know if I've gotten to the bottom of them, to be honest, I'm working on it. But these really obvious beliefs where I would just like, people would be like, what are you doing? Like, why are you putting up with this? Or like, mm-hmm. why aren't you, why haven't you changed your pricing yet? Or why haven't you? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't know. I'm afraid like, it's just not worth it. Or like, they'll leave or like, like, you know, like there's a thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, I'm working on it. What's, ha- mm-hmm. what's really helpful actually is doing, um, doing alter egos. There's this great mm-hmm. book. It's the alter ego effect. I think it's by Todd Herman. Mm-hmm. Um, but Beyonce talks a lot about this, how like she's like, nobody would ever come to a concert to see Beyonce. They come to see Sasha Fierce because Sasha Fierce was her alter ego. And yeah, she right. was the performer. She was the et cetera. <laughs> um, and this can be like the two years thing is you do. He has you go through an exercise where you write down your alter ego and who they that. are and all, et cetera. And then your your job is just to play the role for the day. Like you just play the role of your alter yeah. ego for the day and you et cetera. So yeah, I would say like, yeah, just that stuff. Have <laughs> thoughts? No, I know. I think it's so important because we often have, to, you know, we have uh, up to 90,000 thoughts a day. M- many yeah. of them we're not consciously aware of. And those subconscious thoughts that we don't actually check in on are our operating yeah. system that, like you say, it drives our behaviors. Yeah. And if we don't check in with them and really understand, okay, what, what, what operating system is running today that that's sabotaging me um, and take the time to check in with them, then we're not really going to truly break those thoughts and and change the program. Totally. It's it's really important we do that. And um, so the final one, which is the surroundings, which are so important in terms of the context of brain health, Mm. what aspect of your surroundings including uh, how you live and the people that you surround yourself with or, or nature itself brings you the most joy. Oh my God. I got like so lucky when I moved to Phoenix. Like I have the best place. Like I got like an 1800 square foot loft with a pool. Wow, It's so gorgeous out. Like it's uh, 32 degrees Celsius, 95 ish Fahrenheit here right now. Um, it's so gorgeous outside. I, I like I the one thing I'll be sad about when I leave Phoenix, because I don't know if this is like my forever place, it will be leaving my place. Like I love the house. Um, so I love that. And I really adore the relationships that I've cultivated, um, specifically with this really funny group of realtors. And like the, again, build your own relationships. This has led to like some pretty cool collaborations, and we're yeah. testing funnels and we're there, there's cool stuff happening in the that uh, myself and a partner are doing in the real estate world that's very much in beta right now. But um, yeah, like honestly, like I we hang out every night that we're all around and we'll jump on Clubhouse and like it's, you know, random convert. There's like gold that's dropped in there sometimes, but it's random conversations and we laugh and we have fun. And um, I just I don't know. I love I love creating communities like that. Yeah. And just having it be a place where people can decompress and like not be so serious. Do you know, I think that's so important, isn't it? To have those decompression communities. Yeah. (laughs) Because we can go around, like, especially as entrepreneurs, it's easy to get really serious about what you're doing and then not not have that decompression um, piece to to just chill out. Yeah. And just be yourself and just 
and just relax about it for for a little bit and know that you're still going to be figuring it out whatever level you get to <laughs> yeah like yeah I, yeah just like and like like I can tell you my most successful friends like they never talk about work like they're like oh what's up like you know what like we're laughing we're like etc like it's not yeah that's like not with their friends they don't maybe on stages and whatnot but like that's like that's like what they yeah that's like what we all need is just those safe places where we can just be ourselves and just laugh yeah and, yeah yeah and you know I think you know going back to your to the struggles that you obviously start with I love the fact that you have leveraged what some people perceive as struggles to become your real superpower you know in terms of creativity and you started off with not having the clarity, but you've just talked about getting clear on who you are in two years' time, um, yeah. and you know, and, and being okay with you know taking medication because that gets you to where you want to be and allows you to be you <laughs> in the best way. I think that's so so important. What what one piece of advice would you give anyone who is struggling? um with past trauma and they they also have the layer of ADD uh, you know on top of it where they're, we're struggling with getting the clarity that they need what would what piece of advice would you give everyone anyone that's in that place well you need to I, I would say um you need to like just make a decision that you're gonna do the work like where all of the energy is expended isn't in that like, oh, I should do it, but I don't want to phase. Like that's where so much energy drains, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're like, all right, I'm going to get clear on this. It doesn't mean you need to today. doesn't mean, but just keep asking yourself over and over. Like, look, I know that like I'm a real person and I have wants and like, and also like heads up, like there's no prize for the person with the fewest needs in a relationship or whatever, right? Like, it's cool to have standards. It's cool to have <laughs> needs and to have one. There's no prize for the most like easygoing person in life. Like if anything, there's, there's a, there's a, there's not a prize. Um, there's a negative thing um, because you just kind of get whatever's thrown at you. But I would just say like, you really just have to, like, I actually realized that the biggest thing that was not letting me get clear is I had never learned how to study shocker um, mm -hmm. because I just had never really learned like, I barely got through high school. University was crazy. Um, it was the most stressed that I've ever been. So I started YouTubing how to study, how to focus, different techniques to focus, um, and just try different. Like again, it's like, I think you make the decision that you're like, all right, tomorrow, next month, next year, I don't care, but I'm going to figure this out. I'm mm -hmm. going to like get clear on what I actually want, and it's gonna and like it's gonna feel good and it'll feel in alignment. And I know that that's possible. Like I know people mm -hmm. dumber than me have done this. That's what I say when I can't figure something out. I'm like, Ella, people dumber than you have figured this out. Like, come on, mm -hmm. you can figure out this website. So yeah, I would just make the decision and then just keep like, keep your ears open, keep your eyes open, keep asking the question. If you're, especially if you're meditating, if you're whatever, a lot of the time, once we become aware of something like where I'm like, like when I started hanging out with all these real estate people, I was like, man, I wonder if there's a correlation. Like, I wonder if there's something I could do in real estate. I never thought about it. And I just sort of like put the thought out there and you just start to see things and you're like, oh damn, that would work. Like we could bring that over, I think. 
let me like run it by somebody. You'll start to like just pick up on things in a different way. Um, so I'd say, yeah, make, just make the decision and just keep asking yourself the question and you'll realize there's a better question and ask yourself mm. a better question. I think so much in life we're, we're like sort of trained towards like the key to life is to find the right answers. I think the key to almost all of my happiness has been from asking the right questions. And I think questions are really, really powerful. That's really good. I, I love that. And I love the fact that, you know, you, people need to make a decision to do the work. Yeah, just so decide often, you're going to figure this out. Yeah, because so often people, you know, when it comes to diagnosis of of brain health struggles, mm. is they, they just get told, oh, you've got this or you've got that, like you had in, you know, being diagnosed with um, bipolar. Mm -hmm. um type two and and you're just like well I need to I need to work through this and and figure out why I'm struggling the way I am and just being given the diagnosis doesn't fix it it's just a label um so we have to do the work <laughs> to make it to make our life work and you can't you know a diagnosis doesn't doesn't necessarily do that it's and really, yeah, like, has to take yeah, control. yeah, sorry, go, I totally interrupted you. Go ahead. and finish. No, that's okay. I'm just saying like for us, yeah. often it's easy for us to give our power away. Yeah. Uh, by, by being given a label by somebody and a label is just a label, like a label on a shirt. <clears throat> it's just a yeah. label. But we have to do the work ourselves and that's so important. And be willing to dig a little bit with medical professionals. Like yeah. we're so kind of like trained that like the white coat means authority and it means they're right. Be, do your, I mean, I think for every doctor I've been to has been a nice person. I, I totally believe they want to do good, but they can only do the best job they can. I was diagnosed with bipolar too, found out six years later that I was celiac. Like yeah. that wasn't even brought into account, like any yeah. gut testing, any blood tests, any nutritional, no deficiencies, like nothing was even looked at besides yeah. a current situation where I was extremely stressed out and maybe a little bit of past behavior. Right. And I was also 22. <laughs> like I wasn't, you know, like I was 22 and like not in the best headspace most of the time ever. But it's like, yeah, so like be willing to dig. Like I think medical professionals for the most part are doing the best they can with the system they have. They are trying to help. They're good people. They just don't have all the resources they need to be able to really give, like look at the whole thing and what's yeah. going on. So do some digging, like, you know, try different things with your diet and food elimination and see what that does. Like you really have to take an active role in your own health and your own mental health. And yeah. if you're like, well, that sounds like work. It's like, well, try getting sick. It's a lot of work. Being so, like, sick is a lot harder. Hard. <laughs> yeah. It is a lot harder. And people feel that, you know, they they sometimes accept that sickness is, an, is their new norm, but it doesn't have to be. But you have to do the work to get well. Totally. Wow. Thank you. Thank you, Ella. Ella, it's been an um, absolute brilliant talking to you love the way this conversation has gone it's been amazing yeah. uh thank you so much for sharing your your past story and your journey to to be the the wonderful person you are today with your amazing uh business and podcast how can people get hold of you 
Um, Instagram, you can message me there. I hang out on Clubhouse. Uh, Instagram is probably the best way to get in touch with me. That's the easiest. Which is Ella.j.mae.may. Yeah, you got it. For people that, <clears throat> that are listening. Ella, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a real pleasure. Everyone, just remember this show is all about brain health, unchaining your pain. You are not stuck with the brain you have. You have the power to make it better, and we're here to show you how. By Winject Studios, we are an all-in-one educational platform for podcasters that revolutionizes how hosts leverage content to increase engagement with listeners, downloads, and income. We come together to focus on community, collaboration, and collective impact. For more information on how you can interact directly with our hosts, access exclusive live content with offers you can't get anywhere else from our official partners, join our purpose-driven community by visiting www.winject.com. If you're ready to build a career doing what you love, then we're ready to see you there.